Hit it. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. You're listening to Pod Me If You Can. This is Pod Me If You Can. Movie reviews by David and Lloyd. An Australian podcast on your favorite movies. Go to www.podmeifyoucan.com. Welcome to Pod Me If You Can. I'm David Farrell. And I'm Lloyd Hughes. Today's film is George Miller's 30 Years After the Fact return to the Mad Max series with Mad Max Fury Road. Uh, And look, we've seen the film, so spoilers for anyone who hasn't seen it, we will be discussing everything about it. As the world fell, each of us in our own way was broken. It was hard to know who was more crazy. Everyone else. Look, all I was hearing, Lloyd, in the lead up to this was how great and how cool and how awesome this film is. It clogged <laughs> up my Facebook feed. Everyone seems to love it. I, I didn't. I, I only heard the praise from the media outlets, but uh, because everything's Australian here, they tend to talk up any Australian film, so I always ignore it. And I wasn't expecting much. And when I came in, I was I was blown away. Sometimes you see those Australian reviews where the film comes out. And they give it a glowing, you know, four-star review. And then when it's out on DVD or Blu-ray, it's like a two-and-a-half-star yeah. review from the same outlet, you know? Just because it's like they were pushing it when it was in theatres. They want Australian films to do well. Yeah, and then, I mean, this has got an Australian director and it's an Australian franchise if you look at the original series. But it's also been developed very well for international markets. Uh, I heard an interview with George Miller where he was talking about how Mad Max Fury Road is a bit like a silent film. There's very little dialogue. And so that can appeal to international audiences that don't have a lot of subtitles. They're showing all the action. Yeah, he actually said he, he paraphrased Alfred Hitchcock. He said he'd like to make a film where they don't have to read the subtitles in Japan, where you can just watch it. In fact, uh, George Miller's releasing uh, a Blu-ray edition of this, and one of the special features is the entire film in black and white, with no sound at all. And I think that's to push to, to emphasise not only the cinematic roots of cinema from its silent days, but also the power of the visuals and how much emphasis George Miller put in the film. He also had like 3,500 storyboard panels when he was writing this story. It was actually written by him and three, five or six um, uh, storyboard artists and they would draw out the whole thing they would talk back and forth and in this room they called the Mad Max room they would have these 3,500 panels just all across the room and from that he created an illustrated screenplay so there's a huge emphasis on the visuals like very meticulously shot um, and very close to what he originally did with the storyboards interesting too the the thing that I came away from watching the film was that I feel like it's going to be Oscar-nominated for cinematography. The cinematography for me was the thing that stole the show. And that's amazing that they're thinking of releasing it in black and white. I didn't know that in um, on with a 
Yeah, on the Blu-ray. Essentially, the whole film is one giant car chase. Yeah, no, it, it's it's non-stop from the get-go, which is what I loved. Yeah, the pacing was excellent. And I as well, I thought, you know, with the success of uh, the latest Fast and the Furious movie, uh, Fast and Furious 7, it must be, the car movies are suddenly back in, you know, in this billion dollar you know possibility yeah well it has fury road hit that sort of billion dollar mark or no it's just like like it's still doing very well but we're not talking billion dollars no it's it's still quite early the budget was 150 million that's a lot first of all (laughs) yeah yeah and i mean you see quite a lot of that on screen but i mean a lot of that must be the amount of stuff they had to just keep moving you know you've got all these different vehicles everyone's on the move all the time yeah. Apparently this this was shot in um in order in sequence. Oh right, they shot in chronology. That's wow. Although I feel like the bit at the beginning and end which takes place at the Citadel would have been all filmed together. Had to have been. Must have been otherwise what a waste of time and <laughs> the chase stuff must have been filmed in sequence. Uh, that must be what they're referring to like the whole everybody moves, the whole crew moves with the actors with the vehicles, you know. And so that sounds expensive, but um, currently it's just over a hundred million, so it's getting its money back. But uh, I don't think it'll be. I mean, I don't feel like it'll be more than three or four hundred million. Um, yeah, didn't you I'm, say um, it's being beaten on our last podcast by Pitch Perfect Two? That's right. I guess Pitch Perfect Two kind of appeals to more people. It's been less time between Pitch Perfect sequels, and therefore it's fresher in everybody's mind, and as well. Maybe the advertising of Mad Max, you know, makes it look a bit uh, like a boy movie, despite the fact there's been loud cries that uh, Charlize Theron is the real lead, Furiosa. Yeah, I I completely agree with that. I really like the character of Max, um, although my only criticism with the movie is that maybe, uh, you know, Hardy played it like the voice um, in particular was maybe a bit uh, over the top. A lot of the times, like, uh, I, I like Mel Gibson a lot more as, as Max. Like, he, to me, is Mad Max. But Tom Hardy, he's no slouch. He's very, very good. But for this movie, I feel like it's um, it, it's definitely Charlie Theron's uh, movie. Definitely. While we're on Mel Gibson, briefly, would you have put him in a cameo? <laughs> I want to say yes, but at the same time, the you know, the, the guy who played um, the toe cutter in the first um, Mad Max. He is the main villain here, and he's almost invisible. Like, I didn't even know that um, until I read up on it, that, oh, that's the same guy who played the toe cutter. You know, so if Mel Gibson, I, I would have loved to have seen him in the movie. I would have loved him to be invisible almost. Like, you don't see, oh, that's Mel Gibson. You know, I, like, I would have loved George Miller to have him there, you know, as you know a reference to the original trilogy like just just to celebrate the fact that he was in the original trilogy he's a great was a great action star but just not put him as a central point like sticking out oh that's um mad max you know because i i actually not i'm not a fan of those cameos in in movies when it really sticks out at you yeah one that comes to mind is um the rock in welcome to the jungle with sean william scott there's a scene uh because arnold schwarzenegger had just gone into government he could no longer do films there's a scene where Arnold Schwarzenegger walks past The Rock and they're in a corridor. And oh, as yeah. they pass each other... Have you seen this? Yeah, I think so. As they pass each other, Arnold Schwarzenegger goes, have fun or something like that. <laughs> like as if he's handing over the reins of the action sort of franchises to The Rock. <laughs> oh, it's very uh, on the nose, but yeah, kind of funny. 
Yeah, I, I think Charlize Theron is absolutely amazing in this movie. Uh, what I love about her is how she's an extremely beautiful woman, and yet she, uh, you know, for this film, elected to play the character as best as possible. So she shaved her head because the character Furiosa wouldn't have long hair because she was always working with mechanical components, components you know, so oil and dirt would go everywhere. And... You know what it wasn't you were practical, yeah, yeah, it was very practical. So what you were seeing is the character and the beautiful Im- image of or celebrity of Charlize Theron is almost entirely gone. Uh, I can't imagine what the producers were thinking when Miller and her decided to go in that direction. They were just like, "What we're paying for one of the most beautiful women on the planet to be in this movie, and here you're completely getting rid of that," you know. <laughs> It reminded me of V for Vendetta. Natalie Portman, of course, gets her head shaved, but that's more not her choice. Yeah. You know, um, it's not a strong move that she does to, or a practical move. Like in this film, she's lost an arm as well, and she has that kind of uh, robotic grappling kind of arm component, and she's sort of a more of a warrior. Like you see the fight she has with Mad, uh, or with Max when he's trying to get his uh what do you call it mask off and she holds her own despite the fact that she's you know one arm less than him and like it makes no difference that she's a woman like the situation is great with the whole uh chain pulling door situation that was great uh, great choreography i really enjoyed that whole sequence but for me like stealing the film was um nux who's played by nicholas holt who's who was the beast uh mccoy in uh x-men in the x-men movies yeah as well as being the kid in about a boy years ago he delivered this really like intriguing performance he was so watchable to me the characters all of the the guys that looked the same how they were doing that whole like i live i die i live again that kind of brainwashed you know i love that all that, the spray paint in the mouth. Oh, I love it. Yeah, it just feels like these... And credit to all the stuntmen and all the actors who played that. It just feels like they lived in that world. And the fury and roar they have when they're driving out there and one guy decides, you know, to commit suicide. Like, you know, that Valhalla sort of thing. What yeah. I've been watching a lot of Vikings, so I understand <laughs> where these guys are coming from. And they spray their mouth in preparation to be shiny as they go to Valhalla, you know what I mean? <laughs> and, um, yeah, it, it was just beautiful. And I love it how they salute the boss with the symbol of the V8s and how much they worship the automobile and, and everything like that and all the um art direction and and props in this movie all had to have a huge backstory like george miller said that when he um picks up a prop the actor or whoever made it or whoever's going to use it has to be able to tell him the backstory of that prop so there's so much detail in this world and it comes across in the experience when you're watching it you feel like this is a really you know we're only getting a snapshot of such a bigger world which is um you know credit to george miller and everyone who was a part of that because i love that that detail they work so hard you know granted this movie you've obviously read a lot of the issues they've had with this movie how george miller began uh doing this um since 1999 but then the um, September 11th happened, the dollar dropped dramatically, the budget blew out, all the issues with Mel Gibson. Then he was going to make it as an animated movie or comic book or something like that. And then he had he decided, no, I'm, I'm definitely going to do this. In 2009, he set out to make it in Australia in Broken Hill, same place as he's done the others. 
and then rain, heavy rains came in Broken Hill. What became of the desert was now all flowers and everything like that. So he had to wait a year, delay after delay, and they ended up having to shoot it in... I can't remember where. They, Namibia. Okay, sure. So they had to shoot it there. And, um, yeah, but I think all the delays and all the process, you had to think, like, it had disaster written all over it, like, with all the delays and issues they had. But I think having all those problems and having such a long time allowed the film to be as rich as it is now because they had so much time to be spend on the production and everything like that. Definitely. Uh, it somehow all worked, you know. And you still have these really iconic things come out of it. I mean... I can imagine all the toys and all the iconic kind of like pieces with Tom Hardy as Mad Max. I can see that the jacket and the mask he's wearing were iconic. I read a bunch of criticism that um, the Interceptor, you know, the car that Mad Max drives in the original, that it was, you never get to see Tom Hardy driving it, you know? Yeah, it crashes uh, right away at the beginning. <laughs> yeah. And that, that made me think about Dumb and Dumberer, you know. Um, yeah, the, the second one. Yeah, the um, which we've reviewed on the, the podcast. When they get the shag wagon or shag exactly, or whatever, and, yeah. <laughs> and it crashes immediately. You know, and I think that's kind of... You, you have to sort of destroy the past to make way for the future. There's a bit of like a, you know, uh, nodding to the original, but it has to be its own thing, you know? So I think that really worked. I think now they can have a new iconic car. Like, it's like bringing in a new Batmobile almost, you know? interesting group of characters all being thrown together and this issue of slavery amongst the women they're the only ones who are able to give Immortan Joe a, uh, a you know healthy air because all of them are drinking breast milk from more sort of slave women all deteriorating health wise aren't they yeah um it's just sort of unnamed like obviously there must be a po this is a, like a post-apocalyptic future there's obviously something nuclear about it that we get and people are suffering from various you know whether it's a a cancer or something that's growing on their skin or or you know because there's obviously uh emphasis on blood fusion um and things yeah, like true. that he gets that tattoo on his back and that says what clean blood type he is in a way i felt like I went into this with a huge expectation, everybody talking about it, and it met the expectation. And as well, it felt like one of the more complete worlds that we've sort of seen on film. You know, like every detail of it, it's like you say, you're able to sort of pick up whatever and go, this belongs here because, you know. Yeah, I think that's full credit um, to George Miller and his comic book team that spent so long making this movie, just having that time to really flesh out um this world and what i would like to see um is is them is george miller doing a trilogy i i just don't know because there's so much of a world to tap into we don't see the fuel like um at the beginning of the film when a morton joe a morton joe i thought his name was a mortal joe <laughs> um when he was giving that speech um that furiosa and his team are going out for a typical you know to get fuel and to get bullets or something like we never see that destination where she was originally headed and we also get um snapshots of the other cultures the other tribes that exist around them like the guys driving a spiky car and i think they're talking in russian you know and and everything like that and there's so much of a world to tap in there 
that I would love to see a trilogy of this world. I just don't know if George Miller at 71 has that energy in him to do it. And by the previous trilogy, with how much he blew out with Beyond Thunderdome, I don't know if that's a good thing, because Beyond Thunderdome was so bad. It really killed off Mad Max till now, you know? Like, um, mm. th- that's how bad that movie was, you know? Um, so that's what I'm afraid of. But at the same time, I would I want to see more of this world, you know? Well, there is a second one slated. Uh, it's currently titled Mad Max Wasteland. The script is apparently developed and they might be getting straight into it, really. Yeah. Uh, which would be good. Did, did you hear about a lot of the criticism of uh, from male right-wing... Um, uh, right men's right activists they're saying like how awful the movie is like because of how it depicts the treatment of men did you read anything about that um i did see there was some people calling to boycott the film or protest the film yeah, but I, I don't get it in, the, in in the world like the female characters have to be as strong as the males like to survive it, it just has to happen you know so as you say charlie's theron holds her own against tom hardy and that's simply a practical thing she has to be a tough girl and on top of that she's like a lieutenant you know in or, or like a, a captain in a morton joe's army like she she gives command she knows what so she obviously earned that you know from being not, not just for being a, a, a girl like she obviously was a very strong female character I, yeah i think that criticism was very unfair maybe it's the treatment of max you know he's taken and chained up and he's going to be a blood transfusion blood bag i think they refer to him maybe it's and then he's chained to the front of the car of the um the car and stuff i mean but he's treated that way by other men so (laughs) you know the women aren't particularly mean to max they all sort of are an unlikely bunch that get together you know work together but um we we see the brief um when when charlie's theron actually gets to the destination and we see uh is a megan uh megan gale Megan Gale, Megan yeah. Gale, um, and her, and her band of uh, people that are all older ladies, and you can sense that they don't like males. Like they, they obviously don't like um, seeing the war boy there and seeing uh, Mad uh, Max himself, and you get this sense of wow, they really. I don't know what the opposite of misogyny is, <laughs> but whatever that is, they they don't like the male um, uh, characters at all, and you get a tap into that world. But if you understand their characters and their backstory, males aren't a good thing for them. They're very dangerous, you know what um, what they could do to them and everything like that. So I I don't understand that sense of criticism. Uh, yeah, Megan Gale. This is one of her first. Well, it is her first U.S. role. She's done Australian films before. Uh, like I Love You Too, which was a Peter Hellier film. The opening to this, the first time you see her, she's up high and she's nude, which is a brave choice, but sort of one that is required in this world. And then when they come down and realise who she is and they're, they're looking for the green place, which is a bit of a myth, they do say the men, they're reliable, they got us here. you know. But there was that distrust for the male characters. Clearly they've been burnt before. There's, there must be like... The whole theme is survival, really, for Mad Max Fury Road. So, I mean, you do what you got to do to survive, you know. I, I feel like in this world, cannibalism exists, you know, in this world, slavery obviously exists, you know, it's, uh, people make alliances. Clearly the enemy of my enemy is my friend yeah. as well. And it's all tribal, tribal warfare and everything like that. Yeah, definitely. For me, the bits that didn't work in this film, there were a couple little things... 
One of them was when it did slow down and they got stuck in the mud. It just slowed down for a bit too long. I don't know exactly why it went for as long as it did, but for me, the film got a bit stuck in the mud as well. At that particular Uh, moment? Yeah, just like they spent a bit too long maybe at that tree. I was just a bit bored. Um, But maybe that was as well because of how good the action was before that. Like I'd been. I love a couple up. of the moments in that when Max um, grabs some dynamite, I think, and he goes off, uh, you know, to take care of um, the attackers that are coming. And then she goes, "What happens if you don't come back?" And he's like, "Well, just leave," you know. <laughs> and then he comes yeah. back all bloodied and, and everything like that, cleaning himself. And then um, he's the girl goes, "Oh, is he hurt?" And he goes, oh, "That's not his blood." That was fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I, as well when he walks off like that, you don't get to see the action. Yeah, yeah. That's- <laughs> I. I with a $150 million budget, where was that scene? Well, it's a classic sitcom strategy to never show what they were talking about. You know, you always got a character coming in with burnt clothes and everything. Oh, I just fought a monster, you know, but you never actually saw the monster. I, I don't think in that sense it was uh, because of a budget constraint. I think it was a strategy that George Miller employed just to show the, that Max, there's a lot more... Um, detail to max there like he he has a lot within him that you don't see um you know he's capable of so much more than what's uh, exhibited in the film yeah like a bit of a tease for the rest of the trilogy exactly and i love it how he's firing with the sniper rifle and she's going you've only got three bullets he misses twice and gives her the gun and then you know she shoots takes it takes the guy out with one shot that was fantastic and i love it how he's going to no, no, hold the hold the flame closer it's right at your eyes and you know he's blind now <laughs> mm. there's a meme i don't know if you've seen it there's like feminist mad max memes now so uh, i don't know if you're familiar with the ryan gosling ones they all start with like hey girl kind of thing so the the pictures of Tom Hardy and one of them is, "Hey girl, you can use my shoulder as a rifle stand, as you're the better shot of the two of us." <laughs> and then there's another one that's like, "Hey girl, how about I'll take on the henchman and you fight the big boss, so like we win," <laughs> <laughs> you know, and just kind of pumping up the Charlie's Throne character. Another thing was when uh, Rosie Huntington Whiteley uh, gives a thumbs up, like she's okay. I was like, and now she's about to die. <laughs> you saw that coming? I did see that coming. I was like, oh, yeah, this is such a, <laughs> you know. When, but she, when then- she dies and goes under the car and um, they're all crying and everything and you see that brief image of Joe holding her and he's screaming in rage and it's a pregnant blonde lady dead and then yeah. they cut her up and everything like that. At that moment, I went, okay, I have no idea who's going to survive in this movie. I know Max is, but anyone else could die. Like, And I love that. It's not a standard movie. The moment that happened, you knew you were in a different kind of animal, you know? Yeah, exactly. I like a movie that I don't know where it's going to go and every character is expendable. Exactly, yeah. I love the line where he says, I had a baby brother and he was perfect as well. There was something really barbaric and primal about it all and it's good to see angus sampson who was the kind of operator in that situation i want to say uh george miller is a director who never in my mind fulfilled his potential like his first film mad max a really good revenge movie made in the exact same vein as roger corman movies showed so much potential like he had so much talent mad max 2 was epic 
but for for me beyond thunderdome was so bad and ugly that i just thought he was a one-punch wonder and witches of eastwick which i haven't seen george miller said that that was his worst experience in hollywood and he got a pretty bad reputation from that film although he became really good friends with jack nicholson he said he taught him more about life than than anything you know he learned so much from jack nicholson i can't remember much about lorenzo's oil babe pig in the city i haven't seen although i hear it's very underrated happy feet i just watched yesterday um for this podcast and i actually thought that was incredible a really brilliant kids movie and i'm really sorry i ignored it for so long happy feet 2 was apparently so bad i haven't seen happy feet 2 that it ended george miller's digital production company in australia what i'm so amazed with this film is how this 71 year old director comes back with a movie that should you know that has all the sign you know it has a sign of someone desperately clinging onto a franchise that has passed and i hate to say michael mann with miami vice but we have seen these remakes really go south on us by the way i have to mention i really love miami vice just so we're clear but the movie didn't do well critically and commercially um in this modern climate almost everything is a remake reboot a sequel but they have george miller the the guy started all remaking mad max and making sonic that is so seemingly ahead of its time like i really feel it's an entirely different beast of an action film like every frame of this movie the energy and the world is like nothing i've ever seen before and yet it's made you know using the old techniques and new techniques this film has so many practical effects and stunts that's been around since the beginning of cinema and heaps of cgi and what i love here is that like all the cgi is used to support the stunts um george miller said that they can use cgi to remove the rubber the rubber or track marks on the road so you can't see how many times the filmmakers tried to get the shot um they use cgi to remove the wires from the stuntman um so maybe it's because I've seen so many movies that use heavy CGI uh, and the stunt work and practical effects displayed in Fury Road just seems so new and refreshing to me. Uh, I think George Miller, with his incredible practical effects background of the original Mad Max movies, has really adapted well to the modern techniques of CGI and everything like that. One of the practical effects that I really enjoyed was those bending poles, you know, from uh, getting the bad guys onto the vehicles from car to car it just felt so like well used yeah i think um george miller employed um cirque du soleil acrobats for that as well I, I could be wrong but i heard he you know it took a lot of um stunt work like he really emphasized like got the best people um to do a lot of those really dangerous effects it was it was amazing that sequence as well like i know because another criticism is like people think they should just slash the tires but they were trying to retrieve everyone alive you know the all the breeders alive and and spitting the fuel straight into the engine was really interesting like i don't know if that would work i assume it would yeah in one and two they seem to use nos that we see in um fast and the furious movies and 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 this was just spitting the fuel (laughs) into the thing i was like okay like that's their new nos you know to get ahead and things yeah generally i i really enjoyed the film like (laughs) everything about it i was just like this is this was a really interesting and great experience like i was really glad and happy to hear that he'd made another one and like that we're gonna see another look into this world yeah i'm just happy you know he's uh, he he made a very successful film. Like what I was worried about was this is was this going to be a complete disaster? You know because it had so many bad things like uh, in the making of it, 
you know, leading up to it, I just thought, mm. oh, you know, this is going to be a disaster. I, I love the casting. Um, Megan Gale, it's great to see her in a film. But uh, as well, the actor John Howard, who runs her over in the film, is like a well-known Australian actor. I couldn't stop laughing at that scene. Like, uh, when that scene came on and she gets hit by the truck, he's actually taken the steering wheel. So he, he couldn't just order, oh, yeah, make sure you hit her. He had to take the wheel himself, steer the vehicle, and hit the car, and then he laughs about it. Me and my friend, shout out to Andrew. I actually saw this with a lot of friends. Uh, ben, shout out to you, mate, and Natalie. Um, Grady and Katira, shout out to you guys. Um, and me and Andrew, my friend Andrew, just couldn't stop laughing at that sequence. The whole cinema turned and looked at us at that point. Who <laughs> you guys must have seemed st- yeah. sadistic. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. And the other bit of casting I enjoyed was Nathan Jones, uh, who's a former WWE wrestler who he's in Troy uh, and he's killed immediately. He's just there to look like the toughest guy. And then Brad Pitt does that move with the sword where he jumps. Yeah, yeah, that was great. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's a great bit of casting. Good to see him get another role. I know he's kind of in a box, you know. He's the muscular, tough guy. So, uh, you know, good to see him here. I mean, we can't talk about Mad Max Fury Road without discussing the soundtrack, which (laughs) was something that no one... I've never heard of anybody hating this so far. All I'm hearing (laughs) is praise. The soundtrack, for those who haven't watched it or don't care that we're spoiling this, there was a guy chained to a car and he had a guitar and behind him were just a ton of speakers. So this guitar soundtrack... And was the drummers the were behind the speakers as well, I think. Six. Yeah. Yeah. The, the practicalities involved in that, like there's a reason for everything in this movie. When you first look at it, you go, that's just the... You know, that's just a teenager's dream, you know, when you watch it. But every army, uh, despite the modern age of warfare with the technological advancements in warfare and everything like that, especially with radio communication, but prior to that, every army had uh, a musical troupe to to accompany them, sort of like the war drums or the war music that um, got the army get going. And so that was the um, the reason why that army had to have, you know, this rolling... <laughs> concert if you will and the speakers had to be huge because they had to be louder than the engines of the cars and i don't i can't remember the reason of the flamethrower i think that was just like because it's awesome yeah because it's awesome yeah simply because it's awesome but yeah he fused that so well with the um the music uh of the film like when that came on the drums just oh man so awesome when they're uh trying to get to the green place and um, you find out that it doesn't exist anymore. That's kind of felt like the environmental message of the film. Remember Happy Feet had that whole uh, environmental message at the end. Yeah, that was beautiful. Since Max takes place in like a post-apocalyptic world with nuclear storms and, um, and everything, when they talk about the 160-day journey they're going to take on the motorbikes and, you know... 160 day journey is into the salt plains that must be where the oceans used to be yeah because you can't travel for 160 days without hitting ocean presumably on earth and i mean that was kind of a complicated one because the journey of 160 days seems like a long time how would they pack food for that long how would they pack fuel for that long you know there's a big group of them i don't know that they would last 160 days it was better obviously the plan that led into the 
the third act and the finale of the film where they try and take the citadel successfully kill a morton joe proving he's not immortal and then everybody gets water you know <laughs> which at the beginning he equates to weakness you know don't become addicted to the water he yells at them and you know at the end they they all seem a lot more equal and that there's a revolution people are rising up and also i suppose that the women are now in charge um, yeah furiosa is gonna obviously be the next in line to take over yeah which i mean she's a powerful leader so i don't know whether they'll get charlie's theron back i feel like the journey must continue with max who sidles away into the crowd at the end in the final shot of the film so mad max wasteland i feel like is going to be back him out driving in open space you know yeah well i like that how how he's like the narrative of this and like in in the first movie maybe charlie's theron is the central aspect of it like it's her story but ultimately what um the frame of this whole entire um franchise is really max like uh, sort of like c-3po and r2d2 of the original star wars like some say it's really their story because everything like they're there telling the story like these two characters have been there since the beginning you know what i mean (laughs) yeah well i mean that was a bad example (laughs) well i mean i understand what you're saying but they've tricked audiences a little bit by saying you know it's mad max fury road and implies he's the central character when yeah he's actually more like secondary to charlie's theron and in the opening billing her name is up high and his name is down low but they're there at the same time there's this whole pay dispute thing going on at the moment in hollywood too with the leaked emails jennifer lawrence and uh, amy adams didn't get as much money as christian bale and bradley cooper when they did american hustle and so therefore they're saying, you know, women in film are not getting the same amount as their male co-stars for the same roles. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, but um, Charlize Theron is doing Snow White and the Huntsman 2. We've discussed Snow White and the Huntsman, the original, on this podcast. And uh, she asked for the same amount of money as Chris Hemsworth is getting. And she got it, you know. So now there's a new conversation happening where... Uh, and look, this is great, where equality is now you know in paycheck as well wow that's that's really shocking to hear because we we've had the we've lived through dave uh, the writer's strikes i think we've lived through two of them uh since we've, we've been born and now um this one's coming up so yeah i think uh hollywood just has to readdress its entire pay structure because it is a very patriarchal system you got you know the majority of people are, are male directors male stars and everything like that and y- you know it's unfortunate like i think we talked a lot about this in our 50 shades of gray podcast how that was an all female like a female writer female director female uh, producer and we were really hoping like that movie might actually be pretty good and the, the sorry the person who wrote the original book 50 shades of gray was female as well and unfortunately it just wasn't a great movie at all it wasn't even a good movie and you know we, we're just hoping that um uh there are more female directors that rise up sort of thing yeah look i mean i'm all for it I'd, yeah I, if it results in good movies like this more power to them you know you guys can find all that you know uh snow white and the huntsman podcast and 50 shades at podme if you can.com if you're interested i think our uh, furiosa uh, played by Charlize Theron, joins the line of the elite level female action stars. And I think the best one, like w- if we're talking the benchmark, is Sigourney Weaver with Aliens. Uh, I don't know too many people that would disagree with that. 
Uh, and I would put Charlize Theron like right up there. I, th- I think she did a fantastic job in this movie. Yeah, and I mean, she was very watchable. There was, she was a great character, and I just really enjoyed Nux as well. I thought he was very compelling. What's to see great him. about him? You think he's just cannon fodder? He's going to die, yeah. and you hate him at first because he's hooked up, you know, our hero to the front of his car, and you think he's going to die when he sprays his mouthful thing. You know, he's he's just got death written all over him. And Ma- yeah. when Max grabs him out of the car, you're just hoping Max would kill him, but he just always lingers on, lingers on, and then you you really fall for the character. You're really like, man, I hope that guy gets through. You you're really rooting for him at the end, especially that scene when he comes out to Max, you know, and he start spitting um or did max come out to him i know max came out i think i can't remember who took it but either way you see them working together and there was a great moment this film when max works together with furiosa like how them two were like he had a gun to her the whole entire time and then there wasn't a big moment it was just through practicality that they both trusted each other that they both went here's the gun take it and they're both covering each other working together magic absolute pure magic for me yeah the casting was really solid in this film and and as well where he had the the two lumps on his um neck like he had death written all over him you say yeah yeah so that was just another thing where he was assuming at some point he would get killed dave i gotta bring this up now have you seen the original mad maxes yeah the um the original was made for about 400k and uh, made 100 million dollars so yeah it's incredible yeah yeah when i went to university sorry um between free periods i was catching up on a lot of movies you know between classes rather in free periods so during university i watched one two and three uh over the course of a couple of weeks and um that's the only time i've seen them i know you watched all of them in the lead up so yeah in the lead up to this uh it's effectively mad max one is effectively a revenge western oh, i just want to say it quickly i think when you gave that statistic four hundred thousand dollars and it made a hundred million i think that held the record for getting the most money from uh, a, a, such a small investment until blair witch project it did yeah Yeah, <laughs> isn't that crazy does blair, do you know if blair witch project still holds that record or something else busted i'm it? not sure no yeah but isn't that crazy? I'm, I'm pretty sure Paranormal Activity might have overtaken. But anyway, um, Mad Max 1 is effectively a revenge western. Like, it's a family living on the frontier. It's attacked by a group of outlaws. And Max, a lawman or ex-lawman, goes out after them. And that's pretty much it. Uh, George Miller projects the Australian male of the 70s and early 80s into this comic book world. And the big emphasis, of course, is on the Australian cars. The language and attitude of the main characters is from an age that's almost gone in modern Australia. Like, I can't think of too many modern Australian films that has the kind of language and actions that's exhibited in Mad Max. It's really a time capsule of that time period. Um, And funny enough, the distributor actually redistributed the film in america with american accents dubbed over the um, actors so it was a complete and utter disaster not not many people saw it um the original mad max one and mad max 2 road warrior george miller created this epic action movie set in a post-apocalyptic desert future just like wrote um fury road mad max 1 by the way isn't so much like that like we're sort of headed in that that direction but the whole world isn't like a dust bowl like depicted in fury road 
uh, uh, Road Warrior was huge. It had a 13-minute chase sequence with an oil tanker outlasting John Ford's stagecoach in 1939, which went on for like 11 minutes. And what's great about Road Warrior is the stunt work. Everything you see on that film, they actually did. Actual cars crashing into each other, stuntmen flying through the air. It adds something so visceral to the experience, I think. And the movie was such a huge hit... It went on to influence video games, movies, comic books. Robert Rodriguez, in a, rest, uh, in a recent Q&A, said that it was so impressive that a guy who never made a film before, you know, just makes a film his own way, creates the post-apocalyptic future genre that he's really the author of, and made something outside of the system. Uh, most people who saw Road Warrior, and I think most people have not even seen Mad Max 1, I myself only saw Mad Max 1 like five or six years ago, and you know it's like you got things like in in the road warrior this really i don't know how well you remember it dave but there's this really pretty girl that you think is going to survive till the end um and she just dies on top of the oil tanker she gets shot twice with arrows and she just dies off in in a modern day action movie she would probably survive till the end and probably get with max you know but because this film was made outside of the system you get those moments where you're just like wow i've never seen anything like that before and it still held up to me like watching it again i was just like whoa that came out of a shock like i thought she would survive till the end you know yeah, I, yeah, yeah, really interesting. But Beyond Thunderdome, as I said, was a really bad movie. Uh, it completely bombed. I watched it again. Everyone goes, oh, that's the one with Tina Turner. Yeah, I can't believe how bad. Tina Turner isn't the bad thing about it. The whole movie is pretty bad. <laughs> like, when he meets the kids, like, it just happens halfway to a point where you just don't care. They should have introduced that, like, at the very beginning. Have Max you know meet these kids and then get to the thunderdome place like i don't know by the time the kids come into it you're just like oh geez louise i gotta listen to this backstory now you know <laughs> yeah it was better in this film in mad max fury road how they had the kind of flashes of his child oh yeah no that's a good point yeah and i really enjoyed the bit where the flash said dad and then he put his hand up like because he's been trying to block it the whole time but it blocked like an arrow or something yeah yeah, yeah I, I enjoyed that moment as well. Look, there's not much I didn't enjoy about Mad Max Fury <laughs> Road, really. Um, I did think he looked a bit too pretty, considering they'd shaved his head. Maybe it could have been a bit, <laughs> bit, bit, bit patchier, you know? But uh, these things are so minor, you know, in terms of, like I said, the world they've created uh, that, you know, I forgave it any errors, really. Yeah, I, I, I can't... Well, I'll definitely be buying this on Blu-ray. And I know I sound very spoilt, but I would really like George Miller to make uh, 2 and 3 of this world because I just love it. I just want to go back to it. I want to explore it. I want to know more. You know, but I'm just really worried with George Miller's track record, with his age... Is this going to, you know, is the movie going to bomb out as bad as The Matrix 2 and 3, you know, and then we forget all about the first one? That's that's always the worry when you do a trilogy. But for now, we have Fury Road, and it is sublime. It's a great start, isn't it? I mean, regardless of what happens next, this one stands alone. Next time on the podcast, we're going to be talking about Entourage. It's been a far too long, really, since the TV show was on, but it is being saturated in all marketing campaigns right now every channel seems to be playing ads for entourage they seem to be on every show they're plugging up social media and everything jeremy piven was being in character as ari gold <laughs> for like a couple of days selling a 
I assume it's a fictitious book. I haven't looked into it about the gold standard and, you know, rules for like living and stuff. And so he was walking around in character for days and they sent him to places and it was like a, you know, viral advertising campaign for the movie. That's, that's the next one we're going to cover on the podcast. And then I'd say we're going to be getting into Jurassic World, which I'm a little bit worried about Lloyd. Reason being the CGI looks not as good as it could. Um, it does ring back to the original Jurassic Park, which is fine, you know, for nostalgic reasons, but I'm worried that there's going to be some CGI in there that doesn't look very good. You know, the newest dinosaur, the hybrid that kind of jumps up and splashes everybody. And the other thing I'm worried about is there appears to be a scene in the marketing where Chris Pratt is training velociraptors. And, you know, like there's three of them there and he's like, good girl or whatever. And he's standing there waving his arms. And for them to be able to train these raptors is a bit of a worry for me. (laughs) Well, I think the bar's been set so low because two and three were so bad. Um, I I think this one will just, you know, it's like Godzilla. Like he can't go wrong because Godzilla, the original movie in the 90s, was so awful. It didn't matter what they came out with. Anything's going to be better than what we saw. You're probably right. I'm probably (laughs) worrying over nothing. But there's another shot in the trailer where Chris Pratt's on a motorbike and he's riding and these raptors are running alongside him. So there's kind of an element of him being able to sire these dinosaurs and send them off you know, like a Pied Piper or something of Velociraptors. And I'm a little bit worried about that element. I'm not going to lie to you. I did see for the first time at uh, the head of um, Mad Max, a trailer for uh, the newest Terminator. Okay. Uh, I hadn't seen the full trailer. I'd seen a bit of a teaser and a little bit of footage or some stills or something. But one thing that seems to happen in the trailer is Arnie versus Arnie. Old Arnie, who's been sent back earlier to young Sarah Connor seems to be waiting for like a Terminator 1 version of Arnie to come back like he's gonna fight him or something I'm not sure what the heck is going on it's got me really intrigued um that one's out in July so we're gonna definitely tackle that I'm gonna call it Dave I think it's gonna be a terrible movie (laughs) oh I hope not I I'm a bit afraid with them just trying to keep Arnie in there you know and and just to get it right you've seen terminator salvation i have yeah. have you seen the series the terminator tv series i saw some of it i don't think i saw all of it okay um i think it ended abruptly if i remember correctly the series yeah yeah i think like, you're right so I'll, I'll have to look into that but yeah yeah i don't think it really serves as part of the franchise um, you kids think- terminator one and two i don't know if you kids have seen it but i'm sorry for saying you kids right away <laughs> um <laughs> but terminator one and two was such an epic um f- uh, franchise for dave and i's generation i think it holds up as probably the greatest action movies ever made uh, by james cameron terminator three was uh, uh you know just a step in the wrong direction and it just kept going down and down i, I haven't seen terminator salvation but I hear pretty bad things, and that's why I'm so skeptical about uh, Terminator Genesis, uh, because uh, mainly because James Cameron just isn't attached to this franchise at all. Yeah, eventually he'll get the rights back. One day they'll revert back to him, and then everyone will get excited about it again. But with something so iconic like the Terminator, you can't stop making the films. It's the same as Mad Max. You know, it's something that you have a built-in audience for. Hey, it's like uh, pe- Ninja Turtles. Yeah, people will keep coming. You know. 
so if you build it they will come <laughs> guys we've got uh, a youtube channel we review obscure films if you head on over to podmeifyoucan.com you'll find a link there to our youtube channel we've got um, lots of interesting films coming out that you've probably never heard of uh, so if you subscribe to us on youtube then uh, you'll see those first we've got an itunes account uh, this is all happening on iTunes. Pod me if you can is up there. If you download and listen to us through iTunes, we'd appreciate a rating, and that'll help more people find Pod me if you can. Lloyd, uh, pleasure talking about Mad Max Fury Road. I think it's definitely an Oscar contender. It's very early on. Yeah, um, I, I just hope people remember it when it does come to Oscar times, because usually when films are released this early, like. Uh, um, 12 years a boy i can't believe i just called it that <laughs> 12 um, years a slave tw- no no um it <laughs> was originally it, yeah boyhood it was originally called 12 years a boy or something like, like that but then they had to change it no 12 years i think it was called I don't i'm know. not sure they, they had to change the title because of 12 years a slave but yeah boyhood uh was released so early in the year but they still remembered it so well during oscar times and that's a very you know that's extremely rare definitely and um like i said cinematography feels like a slam dunk i'm sure there'll be other films you know which will be contenders but i feel like it'll be nominated as well the costume design feels good also yeah production design design, yeah editing you know all the technical awards it feels like it could be easily nominated in terms of acting it really depends what else comes out yeah um i think charlie's theron could be easily nominated i think uh i enjoyed nicholas holt and you know he could be a supporting actor nominee best director maybe it's a really excellent world that's been created i don't know about best film i mean this is going to be interesting in terms of it's so far away from the oscar yeah it counts uh, as a sci-fi and sci-fi films just never are in oscar contention i guess we'll see what happens uh look it's a big year for film and as i said entourage jurassic world probably something else and then terminator guys so it's going to be a big uh a big month on Podme if you can. Thanks very much for listening and we'll talk to you next time. Hit it. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for listening. Please like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Go to www.podmeifyoucan.com. Pod me if you can. Movie reviews. <laughs>